There we go. Right, fact and faith story, the next I brief introduction, because I'm the victim, um, <laughs> contributor this time, and uh, welcoming my brother, three-year-older brother, to head it up. So I'll hand over to you as the coordinator, and then you've got to try and get me to talk or stop. Yeah, that's usually the second one, more of an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so let's just begin. Um, give us some background. Uh, family life, uh, growing up, uh, the blessings of siblings on whom you can model absolutely everything. Stuff. <laughs> yes. So um, all, all of my thoughts have gone immediately. Uh, so Christian background, conservative evangelical. Uh, I played on the football field here, aged six, I must have been. Dad graduated in 1982. Something like that. Yes. So uh, dad very much involved in missions, uh, North Africa mission, Arab world ministries. So very solid Christian Growing up, Baptist church as it was, wasn't it? So decent Sunday schools, uh, decent knowledge of the faith. Um, I say I would say I characterised my youth as being, and you can correct me on this if you wish, uh, marked by laziness more than anything else, would you? I think that's probably fair enough. We could generously call it being laid back, couldn't we? There we go. We'll go with that. Um, Three-year older brother, three-year younger sister, uh, father very much kind of involved and well-known in traipsing us around various churches to uh, for, for missions, events and that kind of stuff. I would say I had a... I don't recall a huge amount of traipsing around, but yes. Do you not? Yeah. I remember reading David and Goliath in multiple different churches, oh, okay. trying to Fair be um, uh, excused from paying any attention to what was going on in the church service. Yeah. But I think lazy, lazy is probably the thing that... I, I think you had a lot of patience with me. Uh, as an older brother, which was which I'm more thankful for now than I, I was then. Um, but for, I mean, we were based in a village, weren't we? From the yeah. age of about when I was about seven, we were a little yeah. village, going to school in in the local town, and not really doing anything in the village. Played a bit of tennis, didn't we? But not with others outside the family. No. Really, it was very much just us. And so, without that contact. I was, I was, oh, I, we had a, I had a friend across the road from church, but you didn't. I didn't. You didn't. So that was the difference. So it was, I, you know, I didn't get out much. I didn't do very much. And I was at a school where, although I was in the roughly the top sets for most things, because of the nature of the school, I wasn't, I didn't stand out as a performer at school because there were people probably who did a bit of work as well, uh, who certainly appeared to be a lot more intelligent than I was. I suspect that's at least partly because of the... Um, but I wasn't a standout student at school. Yeah. Um, but happy at school? Yeah, I mean, it was good. I played a lot of cricket, played rugby to a pretty high level. Yeah. Um, the work wasn't difficult. I didn't really do any work. Didn't have to do any work to be in the top sets. Um, the first time I worked was uh, for getting into Oxford. So the summer before my final year, I did a huge amount of work to prep for Oxford exams. At the first, Because I was, I was told by... Mr. Smith, your brother got into Oxford because he worked really hard and deserved a place. If you get into Oxford, that's not how you're going to get there. <laughs> I don't remember working that hard, but there you go. Mr. Smith, I did. That's fine. I'm happy with that. But you didn't go straight off to Oxford. You had a, a yeah. gap year first. Why Why a gap year before university? Uh, I was forced to. Um, so I should say, I mean, my, my faith growing up was was solid. I mean, I, I had a couple of experiences. I had one at Spring Harvest in Air in Scotland when I was 11, I think, where I had, had a significant experience. But otherwise, I never really questioned the faith particularly. But I, I when I applied to go to Oxford, I got the, the acceptance letter. I can still remember it. 
Um, and it said, we're happy to accept you, but we're going to ask you to defer a year. And I, I worked out it was because somebody else from our school was going to the same college and had deferred a year. Right. And because there are only two historians a year at Regents, yeah. they didn't want two people from the same school in the same year. So they asked me to defer without explaining it. So I said, OK. So I had I had to have a year off. So I had two options. I had an option in Japan with the Ailings, yeah. um, or which I I kind of come up with, or I had an option in Austria which Mum and Dad had come up with, and uh, I was torn between the two. And then suddenly the, the Japan option fell through, so I went to Austria. And what was that experience like going to Austria as a seventeen, eighteen year old? Eighteen year old. Um, yeah, well, it was it was a maturing experience. I think it was a very significant experience because of the nature of the place. So it, it was it's Protestant, but it was very broadly Protestant, very much into creativity and the arts, more kind of Celtic spirituality. At the heart of it, though, and the most impactful thing on my life was it was the first place I saw work as worship or worship with the whole life. There was the because I went there and I washed washed dishes clean toilets, made beds, that's what I did for the year, which was really good. It's going from a 500-year-old private school to a 1,000-year-old mm -hmm. university. I could have been even more pretentious and arrogant than I am. Um, <laughs> difficult to imagine. Uh, but doing that for a year and getting the idea that when you're cleaning a toilet, you do it as an act of worship, not that you're happy about doing it or that you're singing a song, but you do it as an attitude of worship. I always put it in the phrase that, uh, cleaning it as if the next bottom to sit on it was, was Jesus's bottom yeah. um, uh, was a, a good lesson for me about the integration of spirituality theology with and were you aware of that that um, that understanding coming at, th at that point or is that yeah no that was that was already something I, I, I got really quickly and I got it I think because I I'm a, naturally a community person and so because I naturally do community and it's, it was such a tight community, 50, 60 people there, um, it was just something that was automatic to me. And so suddenly I came out of my shelf from being a really quiet, fairly introspective, very lonesome boy as a, as a teenager to suddenly being doing all this community stuff in Austria. That, that is their fault, yeah. although they won't take full responsibility. I was going to say, as that's that experience of that year seems to have shaped a lot of what you've looked for since. Would that be fair to say? Yes. It's a fairly fundamental... Absolutely, yeah. It, I changed completely. Well, I really, looking back, I, I wasn't much before I went. I was I was very nondescript, and not because the laziness yeah. uh, thing. Um, it's one of the most important things, because people here think I work really hard. Uh, which is always which is always funny for family members to hear because family will never believe it of me because they know me much better. Um, so yeah, that that was a very formation foundational year for that. It was also a place where it was linked to Regent College Vancouver, and so Carl Armading, Old Testament scholar, was there, and he changed because I, when I went there, I was going to do history at Oxford, and I thought I was going to become a history teacher, and Carl said, "No, you need to be doing theology and teaching theology." So he set me on a path. And then the other event which was important that year was Grandma. Um, it was just before Easter of my year out mm -hmm. that Grandma was uh, diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm -hmm. And I got the message in Austria and was told, you know, this is happening, but, you know, it's likely that she'll survive for a few few months. So by the time you get back in the summer, it'll be fine. And two weeks later, 
on Easter Sunday. Yeah. She died. She passed away. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't get the chance to say goodbye yeah. to grandma. And uh, I remember going, you know, that the, the memorial service is, uh, is etched in everyone's memory, I think. Because uh, it was, it was, I mean, I was always a relatively emotional boy, I think. But this is where the emotionality, I think, made much more sense in terms of understanding the role of particularly tears in grief um, and in suffering is, is very much associated with grandma. And grandma has been increasingly important to me, her, her memory as someone who was gospel-centred, holiness-centred. Um, and particularly for me, the song How Great Thou Art, as you know, has always been a, yeah. a struggle with me ever since yeah. singing yeah. it at grandma's, well, not singing it yeah. at grandma's memorial. So. Oh, we, 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 it shows how different people are because we're both natural criers um but we picked that for our wedding as yes. well and i remember exchanging a look with you while that was going and it, it hadn't dawned on me that, that those two things were linked but that was obviously a very significant thing for you you asked my permission to sing it at your wedding i don't remember that at all i was steph, steph probably told you to. i was probably just too cool <laughs> that was probably my bride so that was there you go that was my excuse go with um, that just yeah. in case you listened uh, in uh and so um Coming back from that year in uh, in Austria, you yeah. came back to um, to uni. What was it like coming back to the UK and sort of? You, I mean, every time you go back home, it's never you're never at home again. So because you always end up critical of your home culture, um, and so yeah, I would always say I'm not very English. Is that always true. I think generally, generally most Some cultural people, people go away and then come back more critical of where they went. Often, but but generally, you're also critical of your the culture you come come back to because you you know you look at people who are monocultural and you get a bit disappointed that they haven't seen yeah. the things that you have seen that they're they seem a bit simple yeah. in comparison, if you like. Um, similar to you know studying theology and then going back into the local church, you're just aware of much more, and you wish that others were aware. We will we'll come to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. So yeah, it was interesting. I mean, Oxford is not the real world anyway. It's you know, it is its own little fantasy land. Um, I loved it after the first semester of being told I was stupid every week in tutorials because I hadn't worked out how to accumulate the information sufficiently quickly. Yeah. After that, I, I knew it, and it was just a joy. I that was when I first understood that I was actually bright because I was looking at my tutorials and how much fun I was having and comparing my workload with others. <laughs> and I suddenly worked out mm -hmm. that I was actually accumulating knowledge a lot faster than some really quite yeah. bright people. Yeah. And what about spiritually? What Because um, university is often a key time for people to sort of stand on their own two feet. Now, obviously, you've been away already, but you've yeah. been away into a Christian community. Yeah. Now you are in a... But again, your, your college... My college was pretty Christian. A bit different, wasn't it? Yeah. So how was your college different to others? So it's a very small Baptist-initiated college region part. So only about 60 undergraduates. And a lot of them, half, more than half of them, were studying theology yeah. themselves from various faith positions, I would say. Um, so I didn't find it... Uh, and I was rooted well into St. Ebbs and into OIQ, the Christian Union. Yeah. So it wasn't particularly a, a struggle for me in, in that regard. Um I think an opportunity. Did, did you have yeah, non-Christian friends? Not, that kind of well, yeah, some some non-Christian friends, um, and the chance to to witness. I think I, I witnessed much more by by my life. So again, I I sought to instill community into college. So I was known for <laughs> for heading up uh, various um, events within within yeah. college, and I became treasurer of the student committee yeah. and, and did all that kind of stuff. And was CU rep and bar manager. 
I combined those two roles at the same time, which was interesting. Move, yeah. um, so I was doing a lot of kind of that kind of service community stuff, kind of aware that I was doing a history degree, but I was going to go on to do theology. And so, again, I I coasted a bit. I picked up my 2-1 without too much. I mean, I, if I really pushed it, I think people said I could have got a first, but I was never going to push it. Yeah. That was never. It's more... More to, more to life than that, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, lot to, yeah. a lot, of, lot of rowing, a lot of football, a lot of cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Even a marathon. Yeah. Do you think this is not on my list, but just kind of reflecting um, on that, as you look back on life, you you spent a lot of time around a lot of Christians. Yeah. Um, from Austria to even at, at your time at Oxford was that region's yep. part was a very particular sort of college, wasn't it? Yep. Um, to then um, academia and that and that kind of stuff. Does that? How do you reflect on your opportunities to engage with with non Christians? And have you made an effort with that in terms of neighbours and that kind of thing? It's it's quite a different life that you've led us with that. There's not, there's not automatic connections with those. You don't yet know Jesus, are there? There's not. That's where Belarus, which yeah, plays the important yeah. role in terms of that experience. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of British, in terms of British non-Christians, that you know, culture and that kind of thing, and engagement. Uh, not. I wouldn't say I've done a lot. I mean, I've I've always been part of societies, you know, cricket clubs and that kind of stuff that have engaged with yeah. that. But it's not been a major uh, thread. I, you know, when I as we'll get on to when I finished my PhD, I did some secular. Yeah, work worked in the secular world for a couple two or three years yeah. the tr- because I wanted because I recognised that that yeah. was something that I hadn't done yeah. a lot of um, and I wanted to engage with it um, I think a, a lot of it when I look back is God was forming me for a particular task yeah. and and gave me sufficient of that yeah. in order to engage well with that whilst recognising that ultimately I, it looks like I've been formed for a particular task in community yeah yeah yeah, it wasn't a criticism question, but yeah, no, it's something valid. useful to think through. I mean, because you know, I'm now a church pastor, um, and so because I have to make those other connections, they don't automatically come as they do with many in terms of the workplace and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Belarus came next. Um, why Belarus? Belarus because I wanted to go I, in Austria. Austria was a place which was at a junction between. It was set up in 1969 because Austria was neutral during the Cold War, and so people could come from the West or the East without needing too many visas and stuff. And so it was set up as a theological centre linked to Regent College in Vancouver. Um, and so when I'd lived there, I'd lived with a lot of Poles and Czechs, odd Ukrainian at that point, a lot more Ukrainians later on, Lithuanians will get on to, um, and also some North Americans. Mm-hmm. I was the only Brit there, I think, mm-hmm. well, one of only one or two Brits. Yeah. Um, and so this is, I went there in 94, so three years after the breakup, the formal end of the Soviet Union. Yeah. So all the people that I'd lived with in Eastern Europe had lived as part of the Soviet bloc. Must have been after 94. 94 I went, December 94 I went. I graduated in 94. Yes, that'd be right. You know, but this was after you graduated. So it was 98. 98. 98. Okay. No, no, Austria was 94. Austria. First, yeah, Austria. I'm talking about Austria at the moment. We talked so, about Belarus. Yeah, I'm getting there. Okay. I'll go to Belarus in a minute. I have all these Eastern European friends who've grown up in the Soviet bloc, and so I wanted okay. a taste of uh, what you. they had okay. lived through. Yeah. So I went to IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, 
and said to them, I want to go and work in Poland, please, because that's yeah. where I had most friends from. Yeah. And they said, uh, no, we haven't got a team in Poland, which was only half true, I found out later. Uh, so I said, all right, I'll find somewhere else in Eastern Europe to go. And the following Saturday, I went to the OIQ prayer meeting. And the um, the prayer time at the end was, uh, I was in a little trio with Sharon Patterson as was. Remember Sharon, Irish Sharon? Um, but we, we were in a prayer triplet. And the, the slide came up and the headline was, uh, we need men in Belarus. It was a special prayer meeting for Belarus. And the, the headline was, we need men in Belarus for this autumn. And I remember we had our heads semi-bowed and Sharon just lifted her head and looked at me. I was like, yeah, I'm off. <laughs> um, so on the Monday, I phoned up, to, said, I'll go to Belarus instead, not really knowing anything about it. And they went, fair enough. Yeah. Um, and that was that's discernment for you. Um, and so I thought this is time to break out, because until that point, Austria, I'd been, kind of been myself, but otherwise I was very much dad's son or your brother, because you went to Oxford in, in front of me for three years. So everyone knew you. So I was very much, you know, of rather than myself. And yeah. so I remember there were a couple of Belarusians that came to a church meeting. And so I went up to them afterwards and said, here you go, this is me. And I went up to them and said, I'm coming to work in Belarus next year. And they said, oh, we stayed with your brother last night. There you go. Still got there. Got the jump. Yeah. Um, so what did your time in Belarus, I mean, there might be a specific experience you want to talk about, but what did it teach you about yourself? That's a, that was the question I was expecting. Um, what did it teach me about myself? I think it, it taught me that I have uh, patience and perseverance, which I, I don't think I would have recognised before. Uh, it taught me that my faith is integral to who I am because there's no point in being there otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um and particularly, it, it gave me an insight into whether I was willing to stand up for the gospel because we were challenged at one point. Uh, you know, the KGB had mm. been spying on us and had uh, we got a threat through our head of department that if we didn't change what we were doing, then they were going to take some actions against us, which made for a good prayer letter home. Got a few more prayers out of that. Yeah. Um, and the reaction of that... And, Sophie uh, Gower as now is who was my team leader she was superb through both years there um, setting the, the tone for the team and, uh, and having us with meetings where actually it was very simple do we you know we make a little bit of changes as far as, as it's reasonable for us to make changes but otherwise do we stop what we're doing well no it's why we're here if they if they chuck us in prison they chuck us in prison I mean that's yeah that, that's faith life yeah. So it, it taught yeah, me that all the big authorities thing. Yeah, yeah. Straight out of Acts, isn't it? Yeah. And it it taught me as well that um, just because you're committing more to God doesn't mean that He's going to make your life any easier for you. And particularly in relationship to temptation, I kind of got the idea that you know I'm committing myself to God, and therefore He'll take away temptations a bit from me. Yeah. And the opposite, yeah, was true. Yeah. Probably more more temptations came along. Yeah. Uh, both personally and, and in terms of life and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so he, he gave me a right good kicking at that point and taught yeah. me some lessons about it's not about me, it's about him. I was going to ask you what it taught you about about him, but I, I just just on that, I, I remember experience that we went through when we yeah. lost our first, our first child and the way in which the prosperity gospel very subtly sneaks in through the back door, doesn't it? That I've 
promise to do this for you. Therefore, why yeah. are you not making life easier for me? Which is basically just the prosperity gospel. Yeah. But sanctified because we're, <laughs> we're uh, even though so yeah. Um, and it's a it's a sneaky one that are there particular things it did teach you about God. I mean, I guess something about his faithfulness and his discipline at the same time. Faithfulness and discipline, certainly. Um, and that uh, he's got his ideas about why he's got you. So I went there thinking I was going to be an evangelist. And almost, I had some non-Christian friends who came around, some of whom later joined the KGB full-time. <laughs> um, and I, I learned about consuming vodka carefully. Uh, important lessons. Um but um, I, it turned out that I wasn't there to do a whole load of evangelism. I was there because the previous year they'd had two women and church leaders wouldn't work with women. And so I needed to do an awful lot of preaching and and, and lead a lot of really dull meetings mm -hmm. and be the kind of face. Yeah. Um, and the others would, you know, God had others in line to do some more glamorous work. Yeah. And I had to do the work that was put in front of me. And so I did. Yeah. And from there, then it was... Back to Austria. Back to Austria. I did. I did a year of theology study while I was in Belarus, right. smuggling materials in. Yeah. Uh, with LBC as was, and then I went to Austria to do a year of postgraduate study through yep. Regent, but also to head up the the discipleship program there. Yeah. And with Carl Armading was still there. Carl Armading was still was there. Another good. Various other academics were were going through there. That that was more community life, and then the big the big thing there was meeting Yeva. Uh, my wife to be and uh, dating. And she already is now. She is now. Yes, <laughs> uh, we're in the present. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, dating in a very small community and dating for six months without anybody working out we were dating. Okay. That was quite clever. Yes. In fact, people going up to you and saying, "I heard the rumor about you and Matt, but don't worry, I don't believe it's not true." Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so yes, going through that, Lithuanian. So Lithuanian. So she's constantly living cross culturally now, and she's obviously huge in terms of my spirituality because she grew up in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. She's, you know, she's always got these more interesting stories than me, standing in front of Soviet tanks and part of the singing revolution and that that kind of stuff. Um, and so she models a perseverance and a faithfulness and an attitude to excellence that I hadn't really come across before. And so she's a constant challenge mm -hmm. to me uh, in those areas. I'm still no, nowhere near I ought, where I ought to be. Um, but but yes, that, that's been a hugely formative, obviously, yes. as, as marriage as probably should be. Yeah. And obviously, Yeva was the primary joy of that time. But what, yes. was the, what were the other joys of Christian community life that you experienced there? And what were some of the frustrations? didn't get much frustrations with community i'm just naturally doing community a lot of board games uh i started doing my murder i wrote a couple of murder mysteries when i was out there uh i wrote various plays actually i started that in belarus with the famous dickensian yeah where i rewrote uh christmas carol in rhyming verse yeah 168 why you didn't do that first time around we'll never know but there you go yeah exactly uh wrote, rewrote so i did shakespeare i did a, a adrian plas musical yeah number when i was out there so a lot of that kind of creativity yeah coming through alongside my studies um so yeah it was it was just a really good time that time in austria yeah. living in a car 12th century castle in the alps it's not bad is it a hard life in the and, mountain. yeah how long were you there for three years that time okay. yeah 
and then back into and to Gloucester to kind of really so at this point pick up that's a PhD. So that was so Tony agreed to take me on. He got, looked at my collection of degrees and took a punt on me mm -hmm. and said, "I'll take you for a PhD." Because I was doing historic, I was doing medieval yeah. Yeah. historical theology. So Tony Lane is the best person in the world to to do that with. So he accepted me. I'm not sure I'd be accepted today, given the qualifications I had. Uh, and the fact that I dropped my topic within the first week of starting my studies must have scared him <laughs> quite a lot. But then it was a case of where we were going to live and coming back with very little we you know we would try to work out so we went to gloucester yeah as because i wanted to use the oxford libraries and yeah. Gloucester was just about within a radius so i could travel in yeah. to oxford to use the, the resources there and 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 um chose a new topic on uh, the holy spirit in 12th century thought mm -hmm. and two years later the thesis was was written and um had to then spend six months editing because i wasn't allowed to submit until 30 months up Okay, so yeah, um, so had a very boring six months editing, and then uh, submitted it. Editing is always boring, it's but it's very. I'm not a great editor of my own work. I'm happy to edit others' work, as people here know, yeah. but not my own work. Yeah. Okay. Um. So just talking about, uh, just I'm aware time is ticking on, but a, a couple of things just to talk about in terms of academic studies, both during that time doing your PhD and then since you've been here at MST. Um. What have you learned about combining academic studies with a personal walk with Jesus? Um, the key with academic studies for me is it opens my eyes to how big God is, how much bigger he is than my comprehension. That all I, all I can really ever do is worship him rather than understand him. And all I want to do in my studies is through, in my case, all my dead brothers and sisters, to gain new insights into who he is and to what he's able to do that I hadn't conceived of before, so that I worship him. And I worship him by loving others, um, and by loving others centrally through just being there for them uh, and relating to them but also where possible in beginning to open their eyes and their minds to how big God is. Um, so, so there is there a sense in which in, in teaching others that helps to reinforce those things for yourself. And is that a absolutely yeah, that I a conscious lot. thing that you, I mean, does it happen naturally or is it a conscious thing that you have to, that you, that you it, it, it happens. It happens. I would say it happens naturally and spiritually. So it happens naturally. I, you know, it's it's part of my constant conversation. I now have all these voices in my head um, of all my the, the, my brothers and sisters, and I, I. But I also have voices in the room, voices in my books, uh, and I'm constantly seeking to. And this is where the cross cultural experience I think is really important because it breaks down a lot of the the assumptions, the constructions that we put in our minds about how to live and how to study and how to talk about God and all this kind of stuff. And so I'm constantly wanting, assuming that I'm incomplete and wanting to, to get more of the revelation of God into my life through all these different yeah. uh, different forms. But then it, it, I think it fairly clearly also happens spiritually. It's one of those things where spiritual gifts augment natural gifts. And I can see various points in my teaching where I'm going down a line that I hadn't prepared, that I hadn't even conceived of before. And suddenly light is dawning as I'm teaching it. And I'm learning as I'm teaching because it's no longer me that's teaching it. 
yeah. the spirit t- teaching through me, if yeah. you like. And that, you know, after those, you kind of go back to your office and you you collapse and you're going, okay, I had not followed that before, God. What on earth are the are the the ramifications of that new insight? Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think a really important thing about teaching for me at, at LST is that teaching is only one aspect of. I don't teach. I think my most powerful teaching is not what I do in class. It's a really important aspect of what I do. But the most important teaching that I do is the, hopefully, the combination of that with the social stuff, where theology often pops up, but then the pastoral stuff. And that the pastoral stuff is the thing that's really surprised me. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think I had a yeah. pastoral bone in my body. And I'm sure you never saw one when I was growing up. Um, and then all of a sudden, I found when I was here, people started coming into my office and their lives just kind of spilled out of them. And for a couple of years, I was a man and tried to solve their problems. And then I realized, because I think various wise women around the place told me, stop trying to solve it and just be there. And I learned just to, to sit there and listen and be frantically praying on the inside, yeah. thinking, I have no idea what to say, Lord. Yeah. Um, just allow me to be present with them and allow them to receive whatever they need in this space. And what about some of the, the dangers that you're that you're aware of from the academics that you've done? I mean, folk here are studying academically, but what are some of the dangers in, in doing that in terms of your own walk with Jesus? There's a danger of pride, obviously, um, particularly uh, when others recognise gifts in you. Um, and this is where my family has been very important, especially ever, but also the rest of you, because uh, you know what, you all know what an idiot I am. And I can hide, some of the people don't see that around this place. I try to demonstrate it. Yes. Um, but sometimes they ignore it. Um, but pride is obviously going to be a, a danger because I have been given gifts. Um and I need to make sure those are constantly surrendered um, to God. I think there's how you communicate the the greater truths of God, because it's incredibly powerful stuff. And faith in every individual is different. And for some, they're ready for all that you can give them. For others, they're they're fragile. Um, and being able to to understand that is really important. And that's where the difference between what you do in class in class you've got to read the room carefully to see how far you're able to push in class. Yeah. And then the personal relationships, you're able to make it much more bespoke, yeah. if you like. Um, but in terms of the actual process of study, um, which you will do in, in terms of preparation and reading and writing yeah. and that kind of thing, yeah. um, and which these guys will do in terms of the essays that they're, or the stuff they're listening to in lectures, we're probably listening to, and the reading that they're doing around that. What are the, the dangers there Um how do you avoid that becoming a simple intellectual exercise? And how do you have that then feed your relationship with the Lord? I had a, uh, a former student who came up to me. Uh, he went to Trinity Bristol to do a master's. And he took a church history module. And he, he said to me, it was really weird, Matt, because I went into this church history module and it was all about church history. And I, I realized that you'd never done anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm almost never, I try never to end anything that I'm doing in the intellectual space. Yeah. I'm always, 
I'm always looking to say, well, reflect it back on myself about where does this show that I have gaps or weaknesses or, or things that I can yeah. learn, things that can change. So it, it's it's whether it's trying to augment me or whether it's trying to change me and break me down. So like. there is a conscious Absolutely. taking it from the academia into this you know, Always. looking to apply it, yeah, and actually making a conscious decision to do that rather than yeah. keeping a distance. At times you have to, you know, in research, you have to go into the really complex philosophical, theological uh, realms um, because otherwise I wouldn't be doing my job responsibly. Um, and I struggle a bit more with that. And I, I can do it because I've got a history of doing it back to PhD. But I always need to remind myself that I'm doing that for a purpose so that there are greater foundations so that when students come with difficult questions for me to me, yeah. we can take it back and back and back as far as it's possible to go, whilst also reckoning, really importantly, my orthodox methodology, which says ultimately it's all a mystery beyond my comprehension. And knowing that my my best first answer to any theological question beyond did God create and was Jesus born of a virgin and did he rise from the dead? Pretty much every other theological question, my best first answer is I don't know. And then let's explore it within the church and under scripture. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got one last subject I want to mm-hmm. um, um, talk to you a, a bit about before we finish. And it's about um, local church life. Yeah. Um, which obviously comes out of uh, of my experience. There's a setup to this to this question. So, I've been a student uh, at a Bible college, and um, I love the sense of community that you get there, of rubbing shoulders with other people. It was a multinational uh, uh, college over at all nations. That was brilliant. Rubbing shoulders with other people who are keen to study and to debate and to grow. That was exciting. Um, I've worked for a parachurch organisation among students, and I love there being part of a, a team of right committed people who loved Jesus and wanted to know him better. That was a fuel for me. And then amongst students themselves who were at a point in life where they were exploring things and wanting to talk and grow and they had time to do that, to think and talk and pray together. Now I'm the pastor of a church, a local church, um, which is a wonderful collection of people from of different ages and races and educational backgrounds and family circumstances and life situations, and health conditions and ages and, and so on. Now, that was quite a change for me to adjust to, to going from um, student work to what I'm going to call normal life, although for students, normal life was was what they were doing. But that kind of, it felt like there were many more distractions with the people that I was working with. Um, They had children, or they had aging parents, or they had health concerns, or they had job concerns, or they had neighbour concerns, all that kind of stuff of life. And it feels messy in many more ways, uh, in many ways as a result. Um, it feels less focused, less clear cut on one level. And um, sometimes to, to my shame, I thought it more frustrating as a result. Um, but in my wiser and more godly uh, moments, I, I've seen that there is that is real life being worked out of what it means to love and to follow Jesus. And I'm grateful for my church family as a result. So here's my question. As an academic theologian operating in the wonderful community of staff and students at LST with all the joys and the excitement and the focus that that brings and the the stimulation that comes with that, how do you then remain committed to uh, a local church, a family of of brothers and sisters who aren't academic theologians, who aren't all studying full-time? How do you avoid either looking down on normal church life or just detaching yourself from it? Good question. Um, it's a great question. 
a few dy dynamics. Um, obviously, a lot of what I do here has functions of church associated with it in terms of discipleship and prayer and worship and fellowship. Uh, in many ways, I church, if I'm going to use church as a verb, which I do increasingly, I, I church a lot here. Mm -hmm. um, and therefore, um, and, and because I give a lot into this community, I don't have an awful lot to give to my to my Sunday morning congregation. Um, so that's that's an important facet of of who I am and how. So I have to be careful um, on a Sunday morning um, in terms of what I do. How I can be present there because I need to be present there um, as a as a member. Of, I'm not a lead, leader of the church. I'm a member of the church. Um, and a contributing member of the church, and so I do contribute. I've I've run courses and that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> there are there are bits where there are mild frustrations for me, and it is only mild frustrations now with uh, errors that the church does fall into in terms of its language about God. It's 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 not these aren't are not people who are working in the same theological sphere as mm -hmm. I am. And and therefore, there are mistakes that are made in worship songs and in prayers and in sermons and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I've learned that, well, I know that none of those are deliberate mistakes. They are, they, they are simply because they're not in the same position as I am. And therefore, I can happily give grace and, and, and worship. Where I find myself challenged by the local church... Uh, and again, it's I want to contribute, so I want to be there as a, as a tool. So there are various people who are wanting to to progress their their spiritual walk, their theological walk, and those ones come often come to me with questions. I don't talk about my my life at all. They ask me theology questions. Yeah. I find it very difficult actually to get on to talking about the football yeah. because people want to talk yeah. theology yeah. Uh, with me. That's a little bit frustrating because I do find that I don't have the same relationships with people at church that I would like to have because they they tend to see me as the theologian. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, but I find myself convicted when I go to the local church on the basis of parable of the talents. So to whom much is given, much is expected. To whom little is given, little is expected. I look at my brothers and sisters in the local church and I look at what they're given by, by the church, by the opportunities that have come their way in life, by the the huge challenges that their life gives them in the suffering that comes into their life and you know all the pressures that you've talked about and i am immensely impressed with their faith and with their love given that they have not been given what i've been given um their joy in the lord their faith in christ their confidence and their love for each other is is immense and i you know i am in whole admiration of them um, and I find myself looking at myself with what I have been given, with my gifts and my opportunities and my communities, mm -hmm. and I say, do I have commensurate levels of faith and love? And I don't think I do. I think I'm not doing as much with the talents that I've been given as they, have been, they are with the talents that they've been given. And so it's a constant reminder to me not to go, I'm better than you, because mm -hmm. if I look at the comparison... I think I'm I'm not doing as well as they are doing. So okay, one last question then. So when those thoughts come to mind, um, I'm not doing what I could do. That, yeah, uh, there is more that I could be doing. Where do you go from there? Well, I find my times at the monastery really useful in this regard. 
as as times to process. I, I'm pretty good at constantly reflecting on myself and saying, uh, you know, what is my balance of time and energies and that kind of stuff. Most people disagree with this. So I'm doing too much. I disagree with them. Um, but I, I, I go to the monasteries uh, and I have time with God where in that space, it's almost like everything that I do and am kind of falls off me and I'm able to be bare before God and allow God to say to me, um, these are the things that you've been picking up, which you shouldn't have been picking up, put them down, leave them on one side. These are the things that I'm calling, central things that I'm calling you to, which you need to be doing better. And this is where I always cry because, you know, the first yeah. things are always my family. Yeah. yeah. I'm not as good a husband as I should be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so I'm making sure that I, I recommit to those, those roles that I need to commit to. But then also I find that there are things that I should have been looking and seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, people who have been in my life who I should have been caring for, yeah. who I've been blind to because I've been doing other things. Yeah. Um, and so those are regular times of reflection where where God is able to point out to me um, the things I, yeah, what should my priorities be? Who are the people yeah. I need to be loving? And how do I need to be loving them? And for about a week after I get back, I'm a bit better, yeah. which is why he allows me to go. <laughs> yeah. And then it gradually, it, it goes off again. Yeah. Um, but it's that constant revisiting, okay, what what how much time do I have? What opportunities do I have? Which ones do I need to be investing time in? Which yeah. ones less? Um, and I would say that a lot of the silly stuff that I invest my time and energy in is really important. I said this in chapel before the, before last summer, because it creates the space for relationships. So that the really the most important work that I do happens, and the most important work that I do is when people come into my office mm -hmm. and yeah. pour their lives out yeah. and give me the privilege of yeah. sharing into their lives. Let me have one last go on thought on that. One last suggestion in terms of the place that you go in those situations. Um, that's, and this is probably partly what you're, what you're saying. But I just think it's just helpful to clarify that, um, when we reach that point when we know that there are there is because there is always more that we could do. Yeah, and we are never what we are, what we should be. We are always a work in progress, aren't we? Um, uh, and we we see our failings and we know our struggles. Um, one of the key things that we come back to there is that um, is that the goodness of God, isn't it, and the, and, yeah. the, and the grace of the gospel. That actually my my identity lies in the end, not in what I do, yeah, and therefore not in what I don't do, yeah, but actually in what Christ has done for me. And so, actually, in your particular situation, what you were talking about there, even as you go away and you realise the things you need to improve and invest in, yeah, and it's good to do that because we need to. We're asking the spirit to be at work. Yep. Even at that situation, there is the security of knowing I don't go back and need to get better at these things because yeah, that yeah. will earn who I am. Yeah. I work from the point where actually Christ has me and, and he is enough. Yes. And, and he wants to make me more like himself. Yeah, his his grace is sufficient. Um, but we are called to, to serve, and it's that it's that balance and it's the race we're on. Yeah. Thanks for coming in, brother. Pleasure. I'm expecting a good meal now, but that's from your yes. wife, so that'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be much more. That is my faculty-based story.